blow it. So as a result of that, as a result of that, so the key word is, is that I, we're talking about someone who is practicing sin. Okay, if we say we have fellowship with him and do not practice the truth, uh, practicing the truth, if you're, you know, that key word there is practicing. If you're constantly, repeatedly walking in darkness, not, but not giving any thought about trying to do the right thing, and you say you are in fellowship with him, you are lying to yourself. Okay? It's it just not happening. It's just not happening. It doesn't mean that you're not even, it, it may mean that you're not even a bad person because there's a lot of, a lot of good people who are just doing the wrong things and they're practicing wrong things. And uh, the world says it's all right, but to God it says it's wrong. But they don't have fellowship with God. Now notice this, you need to write this down. A new life results in a new walk. Is this microphone a little bit loud? Okay. A new life results in a new walk. Everybody knows, a lot of people that study the Bible knows what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says. If any man, help me finish it. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things, what? Become new. See, a new life, if you have a new life in Christ, it results in a new walk. Now, it's just now, now does a baby walk straight and strong and without stumbling the first time he walks? Neither does a young Christian. Now, the older you get and the, and the more you learn the Word of God, it's just like a, a baby starting. He'll start off, he'll take a couple of steps and fall on his rear, right? And if there's a, if there's a coffee table close by, he might get it in the eye. You, you've been there, right? Everything, all the sharp edges you start putting up or putting away because, I mean, that baby's learning how to walk. In the same way with a believer's life. When you first get saved, I don't know about you, but uh, it, took, it took some while to, you know, start getting this thing down. And I made a lot more failures than I did successes. How many can identify with that? But that's okay. As in the natural, so goes the spiritual. But after a while, you begin to learn how to walk. You make fewer and fewer mistakes, and you start to grow up in the Lord. And we'll talk about that in, the, in preceding Wednesdays. But a new life results in a new walk. Remember, Jesus came to restore fellowship. Now, Brian did a good job the other day. Uh, 4,000 years, 4,000 years, mankind had lost fellowship with God. In the Garden of Eden, what did, what did Adam and Eve do in the cool of the evening? How many knows the story? They did what? They walked who, with who? Who was they walking with? Man, wouldn't that be awesome? They walked with God in the cool of the evening of the garden. God would come down. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me goosebumps. And, and in the cool of the evening, God would come down and he would fellowship with, with the people that he had created. See, God's desire was to fellowship. Now, and something happened that separated and caused a gulf that stopped fellowship. What was it? The sin. So, okay, here comes sin, and now there's a great gulf. And for 4,000 years now, the next thing after sin enters the picture, the first thing that happened, what happened? They was, they was run out of the garden, right? And there was a flaming sword that guarded the path or the gate back into the garden. Now get this, the sword of the Spirit is what? The way back, the way back, in other words, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. We'll talk about this in a minute. The, a flaming sword guarded the, the entrance back into the garden and back into where there would be fellowship with God, Okay. So now follow me now. So about 4,000 years later, here comes Jesus. His purpose was 
to pay the debt for mankind, for mankind, the debt that we owed that we couldn't pay. For 4,000 years, mankind had tried to find a way back to God. God had a plan. So here comes Jesus. He paid the debt instantly on, on the cross when he said, it is what? It is finished. And darkness embraced the afternoon. And tears fell. Tears fell. I, I mean, I like that passion, the movie Passion, that tear that fell out of the heavens. And he said, why hast thou forsaken me? He felt like he was alone. He was paying for the terrible debt of mankind. He was bridging the, the, the gap between God and mankind again. And in the temple, at the same time Jesus said it was finished outside the, on Golgotha, the high priest of the temple slayed the last lamb of the evening and said the same words, it is finished. For 1,500 years, lambs had died, sheep had died by the thousands, trying to bridge a gap between God and mankind. But outside the hill, outside Jerusalem on that hill 2,000 years ago, Jesus said it was finished, and the gulf between God and man was bridged because of the price that he paid on Calvary. Instantly inside the temple, there was an earthquake. And the veil of the temple that, that had shielded the holy place where the presence of God would manifest itself, instantly that veil was ripped from top to bottom, providing a way for people to gain access into the holiest of holies. Now notice this. If you was in, if you was in the tribe of Israel, for 1,500 years, once a year, once a year, the priest would get dressed, he would wash himself, ceremonial clothes, he'd wash himself, and he would take the, the blood of the, of the Passover lamb, and he'd take that blood inside uh, the, the holy place, and then he'd go beyond the veil of the most holy once a year. And he would apply that blood of the Passover lamb on top of that mercy seat, and he would push the sins of the Israel off one year. But get this, only one person, only the high priest could experience the voice of God. Only one person could experience the presence of God. Only one person, once a year, could go inside that veil and know what it was to be in God's presence. Everybody else was outside the camp. Everybody else was anticipating, would, would, the, would, the, would the sacrifice be accepted? Everybody, everybody else was outside wondering what it was like Wondering, what's it like to be in God's presence? What's, what's it like to know what it is to have fellowship with God? What is it like to understand and hear his voice and understand what he thinks and what he, want, what he wants? What is it like? All they could do was stand outside, but on that day, when that veil was ripped, it was symbolic communion that anybody could come. The, the, the bridge, the, the gap was bridged because of what Jesus did. And fellowship for everyone. Whosoever will, let him come and take of the waters of life freely. I mean, God was offering, once again, fellowship uh, to those who wanted to receive it. Now, notice, I want to share with you something about light. And notice your, your light in the intellectual sense symbolizes truth. Light in the moral sense refers to holiness. Okay? So now, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. Now, so light... In the intellectual sense, it means truth. If we're going to really fellowship with God the way we want to, then this is the sword of the Spirit. The sword, the flaming sword guarded the entrance back into the garden. This is the sword of the Spirit. In the Ephesians letter, this is what it's recognized. If you want to have up close, intimate, personal relationship with God, you need to get, you need to understand this book. 
So light in the intellectual sense means that you have to understand what truth is. Uh, Psalms chapter, and don't go there, Butch, but Psalms chapter 119, write it down your, on your notes. Psalms 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. Okay? Now, light in a, in a moral sense refers to holiness. What is holiness? Sometimes we get this idea, holiness is a bun and long sleeves and whatever. And that's not holiness. Holiness simply put is this, doing what you know to be right. Okay? Doing what you know to be right. It's doing the right thing. It's, it's knowing, it's learning this and then choosing to do the right thing. That's holiness. Everybody is on a different degree of, of holiness. Not everybody is walking in the same light that you are. And so God doesn't hold them responsible for that yet. Are we on the same page? So there's progressive, there's progressive sanctification. But now if you've been saved for a length of time and you're just not applying yourself, be careful that you don't start lying to yourself. Okay? Are we, are we cool? Are we all right with that? You have to be careful, okay? Darkness, in contrast, refers to ignorance. Darkness, in contrast, refers to ignorance in the intellectual sense and evil in the moral sense. Okay, what a, how many understand that before we were saved, we were in darkness, we were ignorant. We were all, God has saved us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We all were ignorant of the way God thought. We were ignorant of the way God, uh, you know, his word. We was ignorant of what God re required of us. We was ignorant of, of what his design for our life, his purpose for our life. You understand what I'm saying? So darkness in, in an intellectual sense means ignorance. We don't, people don't know. When people first get saved and they come to the Lord, they, they, they came to the light, but they're still ignorant in so many areas of their life. Are we okay? Now, I'm not putting anybody down because I was there. I had so many. Dear Jesus, I was married to a woman that was a heathen. And she had asked me all these stupid questions. And I'd say, well, you, that's, you, it's in there. Mixed bathing, you know, mixed bathing. We don't mix bathe. I don't take a bath with anybody. I said, no, it's not what it's talking about. Mixed bathing, swimming. She said, oh, what's wrong with that? And then, I mean, then, and then the conversation was good. I mean, then, then she asked all this stuff that I've been taught all my life in church was wrong. And it made me start studying the Bible. I found out a whole lot of stuff that I was taught wasn't in the Bible. Smoking going to take you to hell. I, that's the reason I didn't get saved for years. I thought smoking is going to take me to hell, and I like smoking. <laughs> so, that's what I've been taught, you know. Smoking going to take you to hell. It's a sin. Well, it's probably not good for your body, but uh, the guy, guy pitched me a Bible and said, show me in the Bible where it's a sin. So I thought it's got to be in there. I've been told all my life it's a sin. So I got in the Bible and found out that, yeah, we're supposed to take care of our bodies, but it doesn't know where it says it. Smoke can take you to hell. Make you smell like you've been there. <laughs> but it won't take you there. It might kill you before your time. You know, with all, in the truth. But there, so I, I got, I, the, then all at once, but I was ignorant. I, there's a lot of things I was ignorant of. And you know what? The enemy uses our ignorance against us. 
where the, where the light and the, and the knowledge of God will set us free, the enemy uses our ignorance, ignorance to keep us in bondage. It doesn't mean that we're bad people. It just simply means he uses our ignorance against us and keeps us in bondage. And uh, it kept me from really enjoying the presence of God for a long time because I thought he was mad at me. Okay? But so darkness in contrast versus ignorance in the intellectual sense and evil in the moral sense. Now, fellowship. I want, you, I, want to, I want to share this word fellowship with you. Having things in common. That's what fellowship means. Having things in common. It means association. It means participation. It means being a partaker. It means a companionship. Now, get this. Salvation is a call to fellowship. Now, I want you to put Matthew chapter 11 up there. Uh, Butch, if you got it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. We'll read it in just a second. Uh, here, salvation is a call to fellowship. God wants to fellowship with us. Now, look what the scripture says. Come to me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, that's a call. That's a call for, now, for everyone, right? It all, how, many, how many is all? Okay, all. Take my yoke upon you and learn uh, from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, your emotion. He'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, salvation is a call to fellowship. How many knows what a yoke is? All right, and so what does a yoke do when you put it on the oxen? All right, helps to pull the load. What? Now, Jesus is saying, take my yoke. So evidently there's already a yoke on Jesus, and what is he asking you to do? Come alongside and take the yoke, which makes you a what? A team, right? Is that fellowship? You're walking side by side. And he said, now my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So some people read that and think, well, boy, I don't want that. I mean, if I get yoked up with Jesus, man, that's going to be... It's going to be hell to pay. You know what I mean? Well, you see, that's because we're ignorant. Because God is calling us into a life of freedom and liberty. Okay, there's liberty in Christ. There's freedom in Christ. The more you learn about Christ, the more free you are in this life. I'm telling you, uh, living for God is a blast. I mean, it, it's, it's, if it's not fun living for Jesus, then let's all quit and let's go home, okay? I'm telling you, living for God is a hoop, but you got to want to. Okay? Now, you've got to be sold out to this thing. And once you are, and once you release yourself from those things that hold you to this earth, okay, I'm telling you, there's a freedom in that. So he's called us now to fellowship. I hope this is making sense to you. Now, question, does the Scripture warn us about who we fellowship with? See, now, there, he's wanting us to fellowship with him, and so fellowship is important. And now I'm asking you a question, does the Scripture warn us about who we fellowship with? Okay, now we're talking about darkness, we're talking about light, and the, and the base scripture says if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. Now, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. The first thing I want to share with you, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of what? Darkness, but reprove them. Okay, now listen to me. And have no fellowship. Remember what fellowship is. It's participation. It's, it's companionship. It doesn't mean that you, you're, you can't be friends with somebody that doesn't know Jesus. That's not what it's saying. It means you cannot participate in what they do. Now, you have to separate. There, you, there is a, there's two words that put together that illustrates what you are. You are supernatural. The super on one side means it refers to what has taken place in you when you get saved. There's something super that has happened to you. God the Holy Spirit has come into your life 
has changed you. And then there is the natural, okay? And, and you, there's a dividing point. You live in the spirit realm, but you live in the natural. It doesn't mean you can't have friends, but it does mean that if you have unsaved friends, you can't participate in what they do. You can't, and so, so you can't have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. How do we do that? Well, you ungodly sucker, you're going to go straight to hell. You know, there was one preacher that was run off in the church because he always preached on hell. Preached every message on hell. They fired him, they ran him off. The next preacher came and took over the church and, and uh, one of the guys asked him later on and said, well, what's the new preacher preach on? He said, he preaches on hell. Is that all he preaches on? Yeah, he preaches on hell. But he preaches on hell <laughs> with not the attitude that he doesn't want us to go there. <laughs> Sometimes preachers preach on hell because they you know, almost act like they want you to go there. Okay, you can't do that. That's not the way you reprove them. How do you, how do you reprove them or how do you expose them? By living in the light, being a light in front of them. By what you say and by what you do. Just your, just your presence uh, around them is going to bring conviction upon them. Why? Because you're not participating in, in their darkness. You're not participating in what they are doing. doesn't mean you're not their friend and they're not your friend, but you're not participating in the ugliness, okay? And it goes on to say, uh, verse 12, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, verse 13. But all things are exposed or made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Now, it says, the, I think when the King James says, uh, the unfruitful works of darkness. All right, now go to the second one. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now remember what fellowship is. And yoke means you're a, a yoke together means you're a team. Now this doesn't mean that you divorce your unsaved husband or your unsaved wife. Okay, if you're married, this is not a scripture you use to divorce them. Okay. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Having things in, in common, participating in what they do. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, or, or light with darkness? And what communion has light with darkness? It doesn't. There's no, there's no fellowship. You can't have communion as colony of uh, fellowship. There has to be a break there, Okay. So it warns us about these things. Number three. Now we, we get into we get into some stuff. We have disorderly or disobedient believers. Disorderly or disobedient believers are sinning brothers. Second Thessalonians chapter three. But see if you get it. Second Th Thessalonians. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be what ashamed. Okay. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So we're talking about, can Christians sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we, we are to admonish them. We, we are to challenge them. We are to, we are to confront them sometimes. Not, not in a mean way, but to confront them. But, but yet we are, we, are to, we are to draw some lines uh, about fellowship with them. All right? Uh, go back to, to uh, verse 14. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 14. 
And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Now, at some point, uh, you can't run with them. Now, we're talking about disobedient and sinning brothers. What is the purpose? So that he'll be disciplined. So that he'll see the error of his ways. That he'll ask forgiveness. The purpose of discipline, why do you discipline your kids? So you'll, if you don't stop that, I'm going to spank you. Why? You're going to straighten them up. So discipline is not to, to destroy them, but discipline is so that, so that they will re, be restored and come back and, and uh, get back where they should be with the Lord. Is this making sense to you? So fellowship is important. Now, no, number four, those who profess to be believers but who embrace false teaching leading to strife. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are, are unprofitable and useless. Ten, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. In other words, you try to restore. You try to admonish him. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. You know what your teaching is not. It's causing all kinds of problems. But if they don't listen to you, what are you supposed to do? Let them go on their own way. You know, you don't, you know reject them. All right? A divisive man, okay? Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Okay? Your job is not to condemn them. Your job is to not to have fellowship with them. Doesn't mean they don't remain your friend. Remember what fellowship is. Participating, uh, be, be, being a companion of. You're still a friend of them. You still talk to them, but you don't run with them. And now I'm talking about a brother or sister who is sinning. Okay? Why? Because you want to restore them. You can't, and so disfellowshipping them is, is something that will hopefully will bring them back. Okay? Number five, those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to sound doctrine. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Now I urge you, brethren, who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? Church. Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, or that word doctrine means teaching, which you learn and avoid them. For those who are, are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, those who do such, who are they serving? They're not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Because Jesus does Jesus doesn't divide. That's the devil's math. Okay? That's not, that's not Jesus' math. But their own belly. They do, they do not serve our own Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. In other words, they're getting somewhat. I like what Dr. Phil says to them. So what are you getting out of this? And that? I like that. You know, when, when all these couples come in front of him or they're having all this trouble or someone has a, a, a behavior problem and, and they continue to keep doing the same thing over and over again, so he just sets them down and he just kind of cuts it. So what do, you, what do you get out of this? Because if we wasn't getting anything out of it, they'd quit doing it. And so he just kind of cuts, cuts right across it. So listen, the reason they're doing this is because they're getting something out of it. They're serving their own belly, serving their own selves, okay? They're, they're, they may be being exalted themselves or whatever. They're getting something out of it, okay? Uh, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple and a lot of people in our church world get deceived by people who are serving themselves 
And you, we are instructed now. Now, I hope you don't misunderstand what, what we're trying to teach tonight. That for your own well-being, you, you need to understand and come out of darkness and realize that you need to make some decisions. I'm not saying condemn people. I'm saying you need to make a decision about who you run with and who you fellowship with. And we'll, get, we'll talk about that in this next question. Why is it necessary for us to be particular about who we fellowship with? Why is it necessary for us to be particular? And I want you to underline that word necessary. Necessary. For us to be particular about who we fellowship with. Go to Proverbs chapter 22, Butch, and, uh, and we'll read uh, 24. And we'll talk. This is the, man, I got to hurry. This is, check this out. Make no friendships with an angry man. And don't go to 25 until I tell you. And with a furious man, do not go. All right, don't be, don't be in fellowship. Don't be running around with Don't make friendship with someone who is contentious, always going around attitudes, you know what I'm saying? Why is it necessary for us to be particular about who we fellowship with? If you hang around with them, you'll become like them. You become what? It'll rub off on you. <laughs> oh my God. How many found that to be true? Oh, whoever you run around with, it has a tendency to get it to their, you pick up their attitude. How many says, how many's ever been told, I know who you've been hanging around with? Yeah, I know who I know who you've been hanging with. You don't have to say nothing, but they instantly pick it up by the way you're acting. I know who you've been hanging around with. Why? Because the people you've been hanging around with, their spirit and their attitude jumped off on you. It's rubbed off on you. Now the problem is, see, you're participating. You're not just being friends with somebody, you're participating. You're, you're, you're being in fellowship, you made friendship, and you're participating in this person, our person's problems, okay? Now, notice verse 25. Here's the answer. Lest you what? Oh, and what? Set a snare for your... Is it necessary that you be particular on who you fellowship with? Yes, because who you fellowship with, you better be careful because you'll learn their ways. I can tell, I can tell who disciples people because people who are discipled pick up the spirit of the, the one that they've set under. <laughs> I might not say this. We used to have a precious saint called Cooper. Sister Cooper. Sister Cooper had been around for a million years. But she had an attitude. And every young lady that attached herself to Sister Cooper inherited her spirit. I mean, kind of a freewheeling, uh, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. Good, great, great person. I mean, do anything. But she just had that independent spirit that, and young ladies would be attracted to her. And Desi knows who I'm talking about. And that spirit, I don't even have to, I wouldn't even have to know who's been hanging around her. Because just what the spirit they manifested. It's like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And you know what I'm talking about? Bless God. You know, listen. Uh, you better be careful who you mess around with, who you run with. Lest you learn their ways. Whose ways are we supposed to learn? 
this way, this way, okay? And if my way doesn't line up to this, I'm, you know, I need to make some adjustments. And the reason we need to be particular is that unless we learn his ways and set a snare for your soul, your emotions, I'm telling you, it will, it will hurt you emotionally and it'll take you sometimes years to get adjusted emotionally once you get off track by people that you run with. I'm telling you, it, it'll hurt you, okay? So you need to be, it's necessary. All right, go to, go to Psalm, now notice this. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Here's a key to being blessed, okay? Here's a key to being blessed. If you want to, if you, now, God's favor is on you. He, he, he wants to bless you. And here's a key to God's blessing, okay? Blesses the man who what? Walks not what? All right, now, now notice what it says. Now, it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness or ignorance, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, what is it saying? Blesses the man who what? Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Blesses the man who did not does not walk, does not fellowship in the counsel of the ungodly. You're driving along in the truck, and somebody you really like and has a lot of influence in life says, Well, I think when the end is, when the end comes, I've got a good, I've got enough good works to balance the scales. You know, counsel. You're going along, you're all receptive. That sounds good. Uh, you know, driving along and you're listening to some more of this worldly wisdom and, you know, God's a good God and he ain't going to send nobody to hell. You think he'd send anybody to hell. He ain't going to send you to hell. I mean, you're getting all this worldly stuff, okay, getting all this. Blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Okay? Because you start walking, look what you're doing. Nor stands in the paths of what? sinners, nor sets in the seat of the scornful. Now listen, if you start walking with them, it's not going to be long to your what? Okay? You're going to be doing what? Standing. Put it out there. You're going to walk. First of all, you're walking, which you're listening. You're listening to their advice. They're, they're affecting you. Okay? And now all at once you're standing, which means you're thinking about it. You're, you're meditating on, on their, their counsel, so you stood, you're standing. And now, if you, if, if you walk and you went to the second level where you're standing and thinking about all this stuff, all this worldly wisdom that you get from all your unsaved friends and from all these ungodly people and ungodly girlfriends and all the other stuff, now you're thinking about it. You think, well, that's all right. You know, that's, that's you know, sounds pretty good. Now, after you're standing there long enough and that starts to affect you, then you're setting. Now, setting means is a fixed position. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Now, you're not just walking. You're not just thinking about it. You're not meditating. Now, it becomes a fixed position in your life. And now, not only has it become a fixed position in your life, you begin to practice it like it's the truth. And that's the deceptive thing to do. But if you're going to be blessed, you better start at the beginning. Bless and reject all that stuff and start walking the way this Bible tells you to walk. How many know this? A lot better. A lot better. Reject all that stuff. Now, no, here's the good news. I'm going to close with this one, all right? 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. 
My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, who's anyone? Is that me? Is that you? And if anyone sins, and we normally do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. None of us are going to walk perfectly all the time. I need this almost daily, sometimes hourly. How about you? If we sin, the King James says, if any man sin. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now that word advocate means intercessor, one who pleads another's cause before a judge. Verse 2 says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he himself is a propitiation. That's a big word in it, for our sins. But that word propitiation just means atonement or to make full payment. Now this is where we sing this song a little while ago. He paid a debt he did not owe. He paid for my sin. And then goes beyond and pleads my case before the Father. Well, you're talking about a good Jesus. You're talking about a good God. We got a good God. If any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father. Aren't you glad? Now, you don't have to pay for this lawyer. What's so good about this? I don't have to pay him. He's done all the paying. Now, I get all the, I get all the good stuff out of this. He paid for my sin. He paid my debt, the debt that I didn't even owe. I mean, that I owe. He, didn't, he paid the debt he didn't even owe. And then after that, then he pleads as an advocate my, my case before the Father. When I sin and I, and I come, I have a high priest that sits on the right-hand side of the Father making intercession for me. He's pleading my case. Go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, but real quick, and we'll wrap this up. Boy, there, this right here, we could probably spend an hour on this stuff right here. But you need to fall in love with Jesus. You need to fall in love with Jesus. Not only did he pay the debt that we owed, but now when we sin, he pleads our case. He's an intercessor. He's an advocate. He's our lawyer. Okay? Now notice this. Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, he sat down. He finished it. Now I want you to go to Hebrews real quick. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Here's what's so good. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. When I sin... See, Jesus sits there as a, as a glorified man. And he intercedes and he says, Father, I understand exactly what John's going through. How can he know what I've been through? If you're going to read it, it says, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. How can he understand how I'm tempted? He was a man. He pulled off his robes of glory. He, he, he stripped himself of his authority. He took on the robes of flesh. God became man and walked in shoe leather. And he went through the same stuff. He, su he, he suffered. He learned obedience to the things that he suffered. He was tempted just like we were. And now he's, and then when we sin, I sin. Not only did he pay for my sin, now he pleads my case when I sin before the Father and he knows exactly how I feel. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16. Now listen. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you come to Jesus, you don't find condemnation. You find grace. Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. Jesus is not in the condemning business today. He's in the forgiving business. He's in the grace business. We need grace. We need mercy. Now, we can come boldly. That doesn't mean you can come with pride, but that does mean you can come with confidence. How can you come with confidence? You've got a high priest that identifies with you. And he sits on the right-hand side of the Father. Oh, man, I wish I had time to explain this. Why is it important that the, it emphasizes the right hand? Because the right hand, if you'll notice, if you, if you have to go back all the way to the book of Genesis, because the right hand was symbolic of authority and power. And when the patriarchs of the Old Testament was giving their blessings to their firstborn, they'd always lay their right hands on them, meaning they was equal in authority and equal in honor. So Jesus doesn't sit on the left-hand side of the Father. Why? Because he is equal in honor and equal in authority and power. So he sits on the right-hand side of the Father because the Father sees him as an equal. Whew. And he sits there making intercession for me, for you. He said, it's expedient for you that I go away. It's to your benefit I go away because if I go away, the Father will send you another that's what, that's what advocate is. He's a comforter. He's an intercessor. Holy Spirit intercedes too. Mary, you could get up here and teach this, couldn't you? feel, hey, God's good, isn't he? God is good. Now, only, I'll, I'll close with these three. Go all the way to the bottom. Three important positions of Christ that affects our destiny. Three positions of Christ. You need to get these down in your spirit. Three positions of Christ that's going to affect our destiny. Number one, he came as Savior. He came as the Lamb of God. Came as a Savior. Okay, that's past tense. That's what he has done. Right now today, he sets as our intercessor, our high priest. Making intercession for us, for you. The reason he's not condemning people today is because he's your high priest and he's interceding for you and making sure that you have an audience with the Father. The reason we can come to the Father is because of what Jesus did. He sets there today as our intercessor as our, uh, our advocate, our, our, the one who pleads our case before the Father. Now listen, he's sitting there today, but there'll be a point in time when he will leave this seat. And this is what's, why it's so important. After the rapture of the church, and here's what people don't, if, 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 and you need to understand this, after the rapture of the church, Jesus leaves the place of intercession and he assumes the seat of judge. Okay? Right now, he's your Savior. Right now, he's your mercy giver. Right now, he's the one that pleads your case and pleads your cause. But after, after the rapture of the church, if you'll read the scripture in the book of Revelation, he, he takes the seat of judge. The first thing that takes place after the church leaves is what? We stand what? The judgment. So he's now he's no longer interceding. Now we stand before him as judge. And not only do we stand before him as judge, the world stands before him as judge. No more mercy no more grace. He turns his attention back to the nation of Israel. The seven-year tribulation period is a, is a direct response. He turns back to his people. The day and the hour of the Gentiles is over with. He returns back to his people. He focuses attention on his people. The tribulation period is a judgment that is designed on the nation of Israel. 
Now he sits in the seat of judge. Why is it so important that you make the rapture of the church? Are you dying the Lord? Listen, after the rapture of the church, I'm telling you, the world is going to be judged. Okay? It's important. Three positions that's going to affect our destiny and our future. And we need to understand that. First, he's the Lamb, the Savior. That's past tense. That's what he did today. He sets as intercessor, high priest pleading our case. After the rapture of the church, he sets as judge because the first thing that happens is the church is judged. Everybody's going to give an account of the things done in this body, whether it be good or bad. And we're going to receive. And so God's going to pass out the, the gifts and, and, the, and the rewards. But he's, when he does that, he has to leave the place of intercession. Are you following me? So be aware of that. We'll talk about some more about that. Any questions? Any questions? I can get wired up on this and I can go for a long time. I like this. 